Welcome mere mortal lights to another round of the mere mortals book reviews. I'm your host Kyron host of this podcast, obviously, but as well as the mere mortals and value for value shows should work worth checking them out if you have some time. And this is the book reviews channel where we dive deeper into the books that we're reading to give you the juicy information that is within to extract some themes you might not have thought about to give you an idea of what these books are about some themes that you can take out from them some additional little insights that you perhaps apply to your everyday life. I prefer focusing on the older classic type of books and it's kind of hard to get a little bit older than <laughs> classic than this one. We do have James Fenimore Cooper's The Last of the Mohicans. So I'm live here on a Thursday 10 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. So on a Wednesday midnight, whatever your plus or minus time zone is from there, you know, plus or minus it from, from midnight and uh, you'll be able to join me live. So that would be really cool if you could do that. And this book in particular was published in 1840, approximately 350 pages in length, relatively dense writing as well, fills up pretty much the whole page. And I'd say it took me about eight hours of reading to get through in total. It's, it's a decent stretch of a book to, to fully get through. So what was my motivation, initial impression for getting into this book? Well, it just been on my list forever. It, it is kind of renowned as a classic. And I have not read much about the mm, frontier lifestyle. It is to pardon the pun uncharted territory for me. So this was definitely something new. I actually almost dropped it at the start. My initial impression wasn't too good because it starts off with the these English characters and they're talking and there's a lot of dialogue between them. And it's the dialogue in this book can be rather hard to pass. And I was just trying to read through this and I'm like, oh my God, if, if this is the whole book is going to be like this, I, I really don't want to do it. Thankfully, I stuck through it and uh, this, and it gets, it does get into the thick of the action with like violence and actual action uh, relatively quickly. We meet all the main characters within the first 10%. And this is why I generally recommend to read five, 10% of a book before you decide to drop it, because sometimes you can just be in a weird state or you can have this idea of, of what you think it's going to be like. But if you just progress through a little bit, you, you can get it. So that's just my general recommendation if you're, if you're reading a book. So let's jump onto the plot and style of, of this book. And essentially, it's, the plot is a, it's a cat and mouse pursuit, much like you'd expect from dealing with the Native American Indians. So this was set in 1757 when it wasn't actually the United States yet. That was to come in, you know, what, 14 years after that. And it was when England and France were still somewhat battling for this new unclaimed territory, or it had been claimed, but it was in contest. And they were sort of using the Native American Indians as their proxies. And so we have these two camps. There's the, the Band of English. So this is focusing on Major Duncan Hayward, and he's got these two girls of his general in, uh, under his care, this being Alice and Cora. And then there's this uh, somewhat, I guess, like fool type character who is uh, named David Gamut. And he's this guy who just sings. He's, he's somewhat like useless, to be honest, a little bit crazy in the head from what we gather. And uh, he's part of their band. And they, they're somewhat try, trying to like travel through the wilderness to get from one camp to another camp of the English and, and get lost in their ways and uh, come across these Native American Indians. So these are people like Chingach Cook. I'm definitely mispronouncing that. I really don't know how to say it. Uncas or Uncas. Uh, so this is like a father and son type pair uh, who are traveling with this 
kind of mixed breed who's i guess a white guy who's grown up as a native american indian and his name is hawkeye and then we meet the kind of main villain of the story called magua who is also a a native american indian but from a different tribe and so we have all of these tribes of you know the delawares the mohicans the macaws and there's lots of like internal politics i guess going on with all of that in terms of the plot there's kidnappings there's people you know going on the hunt and tracking the the pursuing the people who were doing the kidnapping there's large battles between the english and the and the french and then between the native american indians and another group of them uh all of this set in the i guess like untouched wilderness of the new york canada lake areas i, I don't really know how to describe that area too well because my geography of there is is not so great the book is rather wordy style-wise, and so it's got this linear narrative driven through, I guess, historical fiction. So a lot of the characters in this book, or maybe some of them at least, uh, the generals in particular, um, the the French captain, the French, uh, the the English one, the actual setting of some of these battles actually took place. Obviously, then with these invented characters who were doing all of these exciting things, and we get to follow the story. So. The dialogue in between this, there's probably about two fifths, and I've already mentioned that the dialogue was sort of hard to grasp. And um, both the English, which was this overly wordy, flowing, using all of these old words, and you're you're kind of like they're, they're not really getting to the point. But then the Native American Indians weren't so great either, except theirs was just a lot more start and stop, but with these aspects of being obscure and vague and you know, referring to the great mother or the great spirit. And they wouldn't, if, you know, if someone asks them, like, are you going to go follow this guy? It'll be like, oh, the great spirit dictates that the bear walks with the naked paws or something. You're like, what? <laughs> no one understands what that means. So I'm going to give you what what it does make up for, though, with the this dialogue, which is a little bit hard to sparse, is a rich scenery of of everything that's going on in terms of, the lakes and the mountains and the tracks and so we're going to give uh, a little taste of that on uh, page 181 here a frightful change had also occurred in the season the sun had hid its warmth behind an impenetrable mass of vapor and hundreds of human forms which had been blackened beneath the fierce heats of august were stiffening in their deformity before the blasts of a premature november the curling and spotless mists which had been seen sailing above the hills towards the north were now returning in an interminable dusky sheet that was urged along by the fury of a tempest. The crowded mirror of the hurricane was gone, and in its place the green and angry waters lashed the shores as if indignantly casting back its impurities to the polluted strand. Still, the clear fountain retained a portion of its charmed influence— but it reflected only the somber gloom that fell from the impending heavens, that humid and congenial atmosphere which commonly adorned the view, veiling its harshness and softening its asperities, had disappeared, and the northern air poured across the waste of water so harsh and unmingled that nothing was left to be conjectured by the eye or fashioned by the fancy. So you get a real taste of that, and kudos to Cole for reading that out. That is a tongue twister. So we get this real taste of everything that's going on. You know, it really thrusts you into this world, which is so apart from ours. And I'll touch upon why it's apart a little bit later. Um, and not only lets you feast on the on the beauty that is somewhat within, uh, but there's enough hints of danger to remind you that 
you know, the story still exists and that these characters are still doing things which are pretty damn dangerous going into the wilderness. And we we get to see the the beauty and the harshness. And, and that's really what this book is about in, in total, I would say. So jumping onto the questions and themes that came from this, I suppose I want to touch on a personal one first, which was it's maybe not applicable for everyone, but it's it's one that it really resonates deeply with me because it's a somewhat of a personal one. Uh, and this is living between two worlds. And this is why I really love Hawkeye, who's the scout, also known as La Longa Carabine, um, or at least, you know, put a French accent on 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 that because that was his nickname, the Long Carabine in, uh, in French, because he was renowned for his marksmanship. And he just fascinates me, this character. I really, really enjoy this this one particular guy. And what I think fascinates me uh, about him is he somewhat lives in these two worlds. So I already explained how he was a, a white man who grew up, uh, I, I believe he grew up as a native, or at the very least, he adopted their ways. And so he knows how to speak the Delaware tongue. He knows how to track. He He's perhaps not as crafty as the Indians in, in many respects, uh, but he's really, really good. He's really, really close to it. Um, and it, his competence and utility are just really, really great. Like he, he can speak English, but he, then he can speak with the Delawares. He can mingle with the, the ladies and so show kind of like propriety that you'd, you'd expect from perhaps an English gentleman or something like that and, and care after them. But he can also go hunting and he also knows how to adopt into the Indian ways and, you know, go in disguise amongst them and they'll, they'll still somewhat accept him. So what I guess really showed in this book was you'll hear a lot of times and a lot of books will focus on this kind of aspect of living between two worlds and not really being accepted by either of them. And, you know, this is a guy whose skin puts him into one world, but his actions put him into another. And he actually is part of both of them and he's accepted and you don't get any of this tension of never really being fully Native American Indian because of his white skin or never being fully uh, part of the the colonizers because he acts weird and he knows how to behave like a Native Indian and he knows their ways. Instead, what we see is that he's he actually is accepted, I think, really in an integrated manner which is really surprising because you don't normally see that. And examples of this in, in the book are when there's a funeral at the end because a couple of the main characters die, obviously not Hawkeye, and he goes to both funerals and he's accepted. He he, It's natural for him to be part of them. And I was trying to think like, you know, why, why is this? And I would just say it's probably because of his competence because he just is so obviously skilled at being a native American Indian and and how to track, how to hide his uh, his presence, how to uh, behave with them, the type of decisions they would make, when to uh, you know knowing their rituals and all these sorts of things. He's so good at it that you can't deny that he knows what he's doing. And then you see his skill as a marksman. He's extremely brave and ha- has all of these qualities which the English love as well. And I think there is an overlap of these great qualities between the two which are respected by both you know both uh both the english or the french and the native american indians they respect people who are are somewhat skilled at war they know how to make war and man he he really knows how to make war so 
This was one aspect which is just related to me. I, I kind of feel like I live in this similar sort of aspect of between two worlds. So if you're interested in that sort of thing, you'll, you'll definitely find that in this book. Uh, and then there was many other themes you, within this you could get into related to the different the co- cultural differences between the Native American Indians and uh, how women are treated between the, the two cultures. It's a real comparison type book. You could get into the untouched nature and those sorts of things. Um, instead, I want to let Cole read out this section here, which will get us into, I suppose, what I really took out from this between these two differences of, of these cultures. Some he made with faces paler than the ermine of the forests, and these he ordered to be traitors, dogs to their women, and wolves to their slaves. He gave this people the nature of the pigeon, wings that never tire, young, more plentiful than the leaves on the trees, and appetites to devour the earth. He gave them tongues like the false call of the wildcat, hearts like rabbits, the cunning of the dog, but none of the fox, and arms longer than the legs of the moose. With his tongue, he stops the ears of the Indians. His heart teaches him to pay warriors to fight his battles. His cunning tells him how to get together the goods of the earth, and his arms enclose the land from the shores of the salt water to the islands of the Great Lake. His gluttony makes him sick. God makes him enough, and yet he wants all. Such are the pale faces. Some the great spirit made with skins brighter and redder than the yonder sun, continued Magua pointing impressively upward to the lurid luminary which was struggling through the misty atmosphere of the horizon. And these did he fashion to his own mind. He gave them this island as he had made it, covered with trees and filled with game. The wind made their clearings, the sun and rains ripened their fruits, and the snows came to tell them to be thankful. What need had they of roads to journey by? They saw through the hills— When the beavers worked, they lay in the shade and looked on. The winds cooled them in summer. In winter, skins kept them warm. If they fought among themselves, it was to prove that they were men. They were brave. They were just. They were happy. A poignant speech, for sure. And that was the one of the main characters, the main evil guy, Magua, as he was trying to convince an Indian tribe to uh, acquiesce to his kind of demands for for prisoners that he'd left with them and was talking about the differences between the white man at the start there obviously the pale skin and how they were crafty and sneaky and then comparing that to the native american indians who were brave and courageous and like these animals like the beaver and he even talked before that i cut out that section about how uh, it was actually <laughs> rather brutal about the uh the the blacks i guess so this would be the the Africans who had been imported as slaves and how they were, you know, meant to be slaves because of their skin and all that sort of stuff. But the interesting thing with this was he gets to quite a lot of one one of the interesting things is just the way that they they spoke and their rituals in terms of uh, showering praise onto people and creating this real narrative of taking them through of, you know, these brave warriors who went to battle and talking about all their good qualities and really highlighting each one of them who fell in battle, listing them by name, and then using this as spurring on to get other people angry to then go war and fight again and, and this sort of thing. I suppose for me, what there's, there's truth in this. There's truth in what he's saying, but it's, it's kind of like a half-truth, the three-quarters truth, perhaps, which is, yes, the, the, the pale guys were, were bad. There's no doubt that the colonizers did some pretty awful things. 
using the Native American Indians as proxies and being like, yeah, you guys fight for us while we barely do. Look, they, they, they fought, there's no doubt, but a lot of it was through other people. And when you're using other people to fight your battles for you, you know, that's not courageous. That's not um, gallant, uh, uh, which are qualities that English would like to talk about themselves. The, the, the Redskins, the, the Natives, sure, they were brave, but they were cruel. There was a lot of brutality going on in this, a lot of backstabbing. And I suppose what was really interesting was looking at the, the two morals between these two groups and how they would conflict with each other and how what one would perhaps think is a really morally righteous thing to do would, in the other sense, be regarded as weak or feminine or, or, or useless. So in this case, the English, the Duncan Hayward, the, the major who's like caring after these two ladies in his command and, you know, making sure that they've always got horses so uh, then they won't get tired and, and that they have, you know, proper dress and attire, give them space and privacy and, and basically cater to their every whims like a gallant gentleman should. And then we have the, the this other aspect of the, the Indians who look at that and they're like, oh, you know, that you're slaves to your women. This is how how unmanly, how ridiculous of you so it's it's interesting contrasting these two and and seeing these these differences and when it gets to it ultimately neither the uh you know who is the real savages that's kind of the the title i put for this that they're all savages the english the french the native americans there is no moral superiority to be gained or at least found in a book like this because they're always attesting to a higher power of the great spirit, or they even say the great spirit is the same as the English God or the French God. And there's none of them behave in manners which are particularly morally uprighteous. Probably the the guy in the book who shows perhaps the most care and consideration, Hawkeye, between the two, who has, you know, the taste of both worlds and he doesn't like to backstab, for example, or kill a, an, an unarmed man, uh, whereas the Native Americans would to- be totally fine to do that, uh, yet neither does he cater for every whim for the females. And, and it's, it's this real, real weird mix where he's probably the closest to the morally, most morally uprighteous, the least savage of the bunch, and yet he's the dude who's just like murdering people straight up, just shooting them back <laughs> left and right. So none of none of them come out of this who's the real savage they're all they're all savages in their own ways violence is is extremely savage and um yeah you just see it you know executions how how they treat prisoners of wars honor uh, all all of them have their defaults and defects and so none of them really come out of this <laughs> shining in shining lights so let's jump on to i suppose the author perhaps some extra details that we can get into so James Fenimore Cooper was American born and raised in the 1800s. So this is, he's writing in a time period after, um, well after what actually happened. Um, he was uh, somewhat practical. I know he did adventuring on, uh, in the Navy and the Marine uh, on ships, but from what I can tell, I, he wasn't particularly outdoorsy. I don't think he had that much knowledge of the Native American Indians, their ways, or at least firsthand knowledge. He seemed to be more of a uh, a person who lived in the cities. I know he traveled to Europe and back and forth and things like this. So it does make me somewhat question a lot of the tales in this and whether they're just things that he'd heard 
secondhand, thirdhand, and net and not experienced for himself. And so that that that's interesting. That aspect of like, mm, I'm not actually sure how much you could take from this as being the you know which part of it is the historical part and which part is the fiction part. If I had to guess, I'd say a lot of this is what he imagined it would have been like to be an Indian scout and to you know trace and blend into the forest and things like this. So. It's kind of it. It does make me ponder, I guess, on, on what has been lost because my my war whoop that you heard at the start there, for example, I was actually trying to find out: Are there any historical records of what a war whoop actually sounded like? Are there people nowadays who have had generations of of war whoops been related down to them? And just through my meager searchings, I couldn't really find anything, which was. A, a recording of an actual what did it actually sound like when a native american indian went into battle would they shout really in a high-pitched voice would they try and make it a deep bass you know i don't know and so so much of this has been lost in terms of how to track certain animals how to hide your scent how to use streams how to use certain there's so many things that have changed and it's it's almost like what's been lost can never be reclaimed. What is it? What would it visually look like to see an uh, an Native American Indian just blend or melt into the forest? You know, we could have a camera nowadays and and just see what would happen if if someone tried to do that. But I don't know if anyone has the skills anymore. And you could perhaps try and reconstruct it through tales like this, through historical records. But so much of it would have been word of mouth as well. So, you know, destruction of just general heritage of sacred places, of time simply changing things, nature has moved on, new animals come into and out of existence. And so it's, it, it, it really would be fascinating to go back to that time and, and learn some of these things because it's impossible now, even through, you know, the internet, the, in, the information age of being able to get all of this data so there's been stuff that's lost and it's just not coming back so it kind of reading this book actually makes me a little bit sad in some respect where it's like man that was a, a different era a different time and it's gone now there's no there's no coming back and even if you wanted to get tastes of it they would be so diluted that they're, they're not going to be the same as as what was actually um happening in here the last little extra thing that i took from this was you know it's a very violent time period and initially it seemed like this book would treat it lightly. And I suppose that was just because of how it started off with the English and, you know, looking after the women and things like this. But we'll get a taste of it here with Cole reading out this last quote where we see, okay, no, there's, um, the, <laughs> the author wasn't afraid to, to talk about some of the nastier things that were going on as well. Abandoning everything to the greedy grasp of those around her, the mother darted with distraction in her mien to reclaim her child. The Indian smiled grimly and extended one hand in sign of a willingness to exchange, while with the other he flourished the babe above his head, holding it by the feet as if to enhance the value of the ransom. Here, here, there all, any, everything, exclaimed the breathless woman, tearing the lighter articles of dress from her person with ill-directed and trembling fingers. Take all, but give me my babe. The savage spurned the worthless rags and perceiving that the shawl had already become a prize to another. His bantering but sullen smile changing to a gleam of ferocity, he dashed the head of the infant against a rock and cast its quivering remains to her very feet. For an instant, the mother stood, 
like a statue of despair, looking wildly down at an unseemingly object which had so lately nestled in her bosom and smiled in her face. And then she raised her eyes in contentance towards heaven, as if calling on God to curse the perpetrator of the foul deed. She was spared the sin of such a prayer, for, maddened at his disappointment and excited by the sight of blood, the horn mercifully drove his tomahawk into her own brain. The mother sunk under the blow and fell, grasping at her child, and death with the same engrossing love that had caused her to cherish it when living. Oof. <laughs> yeah, not so good. Um, brutal, absolutely brutal. And this actually scene took part when the English had surrendered their fort and so all of the men and women, and they were basically defenseless because they had to leave their arms behind, were all traveling to, to leave and uh, there'd been a peaceful surrender, everything like this. And then there, just this massacre occurred where the Indians just basically took it out on them um, because that was how they did war. That's how they did things. And so um, I believe, you know, historically 200 of the 1,500 people, somewhat or a couple of thousand uh, died in this, you know, basically just a massacre, just killing of men and women who were defenseless. And it's like, oh, yeah, I thought this would all be kind of dealt with off scene when the when the book first started. But no, we, we saw other stuff of scalpings happening of a, a Indian who was not courageous and who ran away in battle, accepting his punishment of um, just getting like a straight knife getting put, put into his chest and into his heart. Yeah, yeah, really, uh, really brutal. So we see all of this and uh, one Frenchman, for example, a, a naive, innocent Frenchman who was just a century, uh, lets them pass in their, in their quest, in their pursuit to go onwards. And, uh, you know, they were just keen, the, the English or the, the scout and, um, and Duncan were keen to just leave it like that. But of one of their um, uh, allies, the native allies, uh, I think it was Uncas, straight up murders this dude and takes his scalp as well and so yeah you, you get some pretty brutal description in this book it's it's not all um sunshine and rainbows that's that's for sure so let's jump on to my summary my main qualm with the book was i suppose the actual writing i've already talked about the dialogue it was rather wordy in some sections and i think even just in terms of the story there was just a couple of bits which were a bit too outlandish or it was just a bit too fortunate um, so there were some small sections where you, you're like, oh man, if that that probably wouldn't have happened. And in particular, I'm thinking of this the scene where they uh, the they get captured for the first time. This is the the girls and and Haw and uh, Duncan, and they're being led away. And basically, like they're just about to get sacrificed, and then miraculously they get saved. And it's like a I don't know what like two versus five fight, and they end up you know, winning basically and, and only Magua escapes by the skin of his teeth. And I'm like, you know what? This seems a bit outlandish. What was the most likely thing that should have happened? They should have just, you know, killed killed Cora or no, sorry, kidnapped Cora, taken her to be a, a wife of the, of the Indians, uh, probably like raped and killed Alice and then tortured Duncan and scalped him. That was probably what should have happened. But, you know, you got to have suspense. You got to have this, all these sorts of things. So it kind of took it away from the the gritty realness of the book when the parts of the story were so, I don't know, cliche if you had to put it that way. 
Um, and uh, but aside from that, it was a fun tale. It had uh, it had a standout character for me in Hawkeye, which I really appreciate. It makes me get more invested into a book. It keeps you on your toes because I really had no idea how the story would go and end, and which characters in the end w- would die. And there are some sacrifices um, that that do have to be made. Dialogue was yeah, not not my favorite. So overall, I'm going to give The Last of the Mohicans by James Fenimore Cooper. It's a solid seven out of ten. It was is pretty enjoyable. Similar books, like I said, I haven't read that many before. I could probably say something like The Last of the Mohicans, perhaps, is is the closest. Um, sorry, Last of the Mohicans, uh, Roughing It by by Mark Twain is probably the closest that I've come to, where it has that frontier type vibe. Funnily enough, Mark Twain was, I believe, a contemporary of James Fenimore Cooper, and his. Um, critiques of his works they sounded pretty pretty harsh and mean to be honest uh from what i can can gather from the internet was that he was uh, too wordy he was he was saying too much he was doing too many things so uh that that was just a little interesting aspect that came from that um and maybe i don't know it was just interesting knowing the the age of innocence a book review i've done before by edith warden that was also one where I go like, oh, okay, no, it's um, it's pretty different. The having a a character that stands out can really make a book vibrant for you, can make it pop out, can make you remember things. Whereas The Age of Innocence, for example, I only re remembered that book and I had to like look up the summary, look up the plot, and it was like, oh yeah, I remember these characters. Whereas ones like this or The Food of the Gods, which also had a, a real standout character. Um, that those were books where it's like, oh, okay, yeah, I really get invest- invested into it and I, I'll be able to remember it much more deeply. So that is it for today. Thank you, everyone, for joining me. Uh, the Boostergram Lounge, this is a section where I thank the supporters, where I thank people who have helped to make this show better, to, um, you know, provide some monetary support for everything that I'm doing here, to give some extra show content and things like that. Unfortunately, once again, we have not had any for this week. So I am just going to have to reiterate, like, without your help and support, this show cannot go on um, because I have to do a lot of effort and work into this. Cole does a lot of effort with his reading of the of the quotes and um, everything that you send gets split with him and, and anyone else. I'm going to add some more music into this as well. Uh, I do really need and appreciate that res- support. So... Best way to do that is to go to meremodelspodcast.com slash support or even just look into the show notes. There is a link to the PayPal, which you can use. And then there is also uh, instructions on how to use a podcasting 2.0 app where you can hear these things live, where you can interact directly with us. Um, And I do appreciate YouTube comments and and things like that. Uh, I do actually have Johnny here in the chat and he was just telling me um, how he's going to read 1984 soon. And... Uh, He was encouraging me to read East of Eden by Steinbeck soon as well, which I will do, my friend. Um, It's it's on my list and it's near the top. And so I'll probably get to it in January, maybe, maybe February. Um, But yeah, that's definitely uh, something I intend to do. I also had a comment here from Nastia, who I've uh, talked about before. She leaves really nice, detailed, long comments on on the YouTube videos in particular. And she was just telling me how uh, she'd read... The Three Body Problem by Shijin Lu as well, and had some similar aspects of of not really being a bit disappointed by the book. I think she's not into sci-fi as much as or technology as perhaps as much as I am. That the philosophical aspects 
And she just found it kind of anti-human in a way to to have these aliens just coming in and really painting it in a negative light, which uh, well, I and and was very unimpressed with the language and style of the plot or the characters. So yeah, wasn't wasn't her favorite book, and and neither was it mine to be honest. But it was a it did have some interesting aspects for me. Another little thing you see on your screen here is a, a QR code. If you scan that, that will take you to a onboarding service where you can play around with the lightning network much of the boostergram lounge is me asking you to send in some satoshis to the show and if you're like oh bitcoin i don't know that that seems weird it seems like a scam all that sort of stuff this is an onboarding service where you can just try it out there's no risk you know all you have to do is just scan the code and or or use the link and um and just give it a give it a try and and see um if you if you want some sats to play around with, you can send them back to the show. I would very much uh, appreciate that. So this is the final section here, the value for value show. This is why I ask for your support because I do not do advertising. I do ha- not have sponsorships. I do not get paid by people to read out their books for them. James Benamore Cooper, nor his estate has <laughs> paid me to, to read this. I do it because of my love of books, of what I really enjoy. And I, I try and create some value for the for you at home to have these aspects of interesting things that I've found from the books of perhaps saving you some from time from reading a book which you might not like or giving you recommendation you know if you like my style of books you will know which books to read in the future so this does uh, I try and provide all this value up front and I will continue to do that you'll never have to pay for this if you don't want to I do just ask that you return that value in, in some form back to me now this can be as simple as liking the video or sharing this book reviews with a friend, whether it be this episode or a channel. You could provide some talent. I'm looking on the lookout for perhaps some graphic designs. If you've got some ideas on how to make the video or the audio more visually popping or or sound better, I would love to know how to do that and if you have any recommendations for that. And then finally, as I mentioned, some treasure of sending in some support to the show to be able to... um, let me continue doing this well into the future and to compensate Cole for all of his uh, magnificent efforts as well uh, with those tongue twisters from today's one. So that is it for today. Thank you everyone for, for joining in, for tuning in. I really do appreciate it. Next week's episode, I think I will be doing Darkness at Noon by Arthur Questler. Questler, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. And I've also got Book Wars in the future. I've already mentioned East of Eden and yeah there's a couple of other, maybe a book by noam chomsky as, as well there's a yeah quite a quite a few things i, I want to get read read and done and so looking forward to all of that we'll cap it here for today thank you everyone for joining me i will just do a last little check to see if there's any more uh comments johnny was just saying um oregon is uh, the state above california because he was moving there soon so very cool very cool um thank you that, for that thank you for joining in uh everyone live once again uh, i do these live on a thursday morning for myself which will be you know a late afternoon in california which would therefore make it very late in the evening in the east of the u.s in the european time zone i guess it would be early morning-ish as well so something like that if you want to join me i would really appreciate it so we'll leave it there thank you everyone ciao for now kyron out